Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Level Up Cleveland. And this week we have with us Mr. Craig Martini. Hello, hello, hello. Anybody that doesn't know who Craig is, Craig's played with a numerous uh, amount of musicians. Uh, Joe Satriani, Paul Gilbert. Um, two, those are the two noticeable ones. But you're, what, I, what, what you're most famous for, at least in my opinion, is Unified Culture. That's your band, man. I mean, that's, that is the, your band you're in. Right now you're doing the, the Looper thing. Because you have your solo projects out there also that you're doing the Looper thing with. Um, very cool stuff there, too. We'll, we'll get into all that. Thank um, but thanks for coming down. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You're another one of them guys that comes from that whole Parma uh, thing of just tons of people that come from. And you actually played with a lot of those guys through yeah. the years, too, yeah. growing up. Sure. In your younger years, you played with... You, you started off with terror. Right. Of all, and, and believe you know. it or not, I actually never lived. I lived in Parma later on in life, but I was like from Chardon. Oh. Like I lived you just way out of... on the east side. And that's how come I knew the Zooter guys, because we went to school together. We grew up together. We knew each other. They lived like right down the street from me. And so ever since I was 11 years old, I've known them. Oh. And so the way that I got into that situation with the band Terror was um, I was playing down at... Uh, Silky Sullivan's in the flat with my with my band called DDT. We were playing. We were like this cover band of metal, and we were like playing all this like Anthrax and and Metallica and all kinds of cool stuff that we liked at the time. And Brian and John, Sakula. Yep, they ran. They were sound guys too, and so uh-huh. they happened to run sound for the band that I was playing in that night, and they needed a bass player. And they were like, "Who's that guy playing bass?" So, so they asked uh, Billy Morris. Billy Morris, you know who that guy is? And Billy's like, oh, yeah, that's Craig. He's friends with uh, the Zooter guys, and I'll get a hold of him for you. So then I, they got a hold of me, and those guys used to come out. Actually, a guy named Bob Zouch. It, they would they would come out and pick me up in Chardon and drive me all the way back out to Parma. And no then kidding. I would, like, spend the, the weekend with them, and we would, like, jam and, and do stuff like that and do our shows and stuff, and then they would... So you weren't actually from Parma. You no. just so that's how that's how that all came about. Yeah, the only way I got in, introduced to those guys was because through Mike and CJ they knew uh, Billy and and the Sakula brothers, and that's kind of how I got in. Once that happened, then I was because I was friends with Mike and CJ forever, and then you know I got introduced to Billy through them too, and that whole scene. And so once that happened, it's I like a chain I, reaction yeah, of events that just kind of took place. Yeah, and then the unified thing came out of out of the terror. The terror thing. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so then you got JJ. John Sakula from right. and Vic Novak That's also right. was the drummer of the original drummer and for Unified. And believe it or not, actually, I was not the original bass player in Unified Culture. Oh. Brian was. Oh. So it was uh, Vic, Brian, Scott Zapata. Scott Zapata is another name I'm Shotgun, familiar with, yeah. And Jason. And Jason actually was, Jason Popson's one who sort of masterminded the Unified Culture name, the idea, the whole concept oh. of what it was. And they had put out like a three-song thing and it was those guys that had done it and after that kind of got done they couldn't really put together a band to do it i don't know why they just not everybody was really interested in doing it as much and i was at a rehearsal out by billy morris's studio and jason showed up and i never even heard of what he was doing and he's like hey check this out and at the time i was like getting into like more stuff besides metal i was like listening to bass players that were you know like larry graham and stuff like that all this funk stuff and i was kind of like I like metal, but I kind of want to do like some more stuff. So here's this kid. He's sitting on the hood of a car listening to this tape. And I'm like, dude, what is that? That's cool. He's like, oh, it's my music. And I'm like, I would love to do stuff like that. So yeah. we ended up just like hooking up. And and from there on, we, you know, I stayed in the band with them. And we went through quite a few members along the way. 
Well, yeah, and that's why I, you know, like through through these shows, I bring up terror a lot because I don't think people have any idea like what came from all that. Oh yeah. You know, like so that, that that was this, you know, that was like, and that was an original. That was back when there was just a few genres of metal. That was right. back when there was just a few things it was going like death on. Death metal. Yeah, and it was a yeah. death metal band, and there wasn't a lot of death metal out no. yet. I mean, it was they were they were coming in it right when it was coming out. Yeah. Um. And then later on, you get Mushroom Head from all that stuff. Right. You get you, right. who's played with everybody, basically. I mean, you have. I mean, you're an icon in this city. I oh, mean, my goodness. Well, well you really you. are. I mean, you are. You're, 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 you're an icon. I mean. I've you, been fortunate to get the gigs that I've gotten. And, you know, some of it's through luck. Because, you you know, when you get into a situation, it's sometimes luck. Or, like. Right place, just, right time type right. thing. What do you do with it? That's the difference. You know what I mean? Ooh, that's and a good point. Yeah. It's like. Everybody gets opportunities in life. All of us do. And what do we do with them? And so it's a perception thing. So when you go, hey, here's this opportunity. Do I perceive this as something that's going to really put me out and I'm going to work really hard to do it and it's not going to be rewarding enough? Or do I look at the opportunity as I don't know who I'll meet or what I'll do or what it is? And even if it seems like bullshit, am I allowed to swear? Oh, yeah. Uh, even if it seems like it might be bullshit and it's extra stuff. and But if you can step back and, you know, sort of pull the microscope away and then pull it out a little further and start to see that there's a big picture that's involved in all these different gigs that you do. Yeah. And so when it comes along that maybe the gigs seem kind of like not as much worth it, but you still took the opportunity, you have to put every effort into making sure that it's the best you can do. And I've always kept that attitude, and fortunately that worked. Uh, that's really what kept me working all these years is that whatever whatever it was, you go on tour, the accommodations sometimes aren't the greatest. Um, certain <laughs> certain times you have to help certain people on tour that are just not used to touring or if whatever it is, you be the helper on tour, be the person that doesn't need anything, and be the person that if when you're around you can do something to to make the thing better. And if you just do that, you'll keep on getting higher. Of course, you have to be good at playing. That's yeah, right. Reason. Number one, you got to just play you the instrument. Be, yeah, but at, but at that level, everyone is. You know what I mean? And the people that continue to get hired to do stuff, it's, it's fully because of their attitude and, and what they'll bring on that side of it. Because we all have to be good at music. You can't go out there and do that other way. Right, right, right. Nobody even nobody even looks at you if you're not that first. Right, exactly. And then, and then all the other stuff, the intangible stuff that you have to, like, know how to do. And, that, and there, there probably is a real etiquette to touring, I guess. You know, there probably is a, a lot more to it than just what meets the eye as far as... It's, it's true. Yeah, because you're, 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 there's a lot of relationships going on in this whole type of thing. There's a lot of people's... This is people's lives, you know. People are... And you and you guys are out there. That's right. You can be in the middle of nowhere sometimes, and you gotta and have helpers. You gotta help each other, and, and it's like life, really. It's just a microcosm of what this whole thing is that we're doing. Everybody gets, you know, we're all very busy with our own lives, and but we have to remember that everyone else that's in our life has a life too, and sometimes they need you, and sometimes you need to recognize they need you without them telling you that they need you, and so that's what touring is like. You know, you're on the you're on the bus, you get there, and you. You observe, you know, and as a bass player, Pat can attest to this, you're the observer of the band always because you're in between where the rhythm section is like the drums and then there's like all this melodic and everything that's happening on top of it. You're sort of in between. So your job as the bass player is to sort of observe and help to facilitate the rhythm and notes sort of to work together. And so that's touring to me. That's very natural uh, when I'm I'm looking around and I can see there's a need somewhere I'm going to pop in and say can I help with that or not or if I'm looking like I'm in the way I'm getting out of here someone's in a mood they're doing some stuff I'm going to get out of here I'm going to go over there for a while and when things settle down I'm going to come back over and be everything cool you guys need anything that's the way 
to do it. And that's, you know, and it, and you will never get in trouble touring like that if you just always. So do you get, do you get it? People, opportunity comes to you usually. So yeah. people call you up and be like, hey, we're, we're, I'm torn. I'd like to have you come play on, on, on with us on this tour. Yeah, that's usually like an email. You know, you get like an email. Like yeah, no I, one calls anybody like, anymore. <laughs> right. But a, a funny story, uh, speaking of that, how, you know, when you'll get just a random email out of nowhere. And it's like, you know, there's a saying in life. It's like, you know, you don't know what your next opportunity is because five minutes from now the phone can ring. Email can come through that you had no idea all this stuff was happening. And all of a sudden you get presented this thing. And that's how it always happens for me. I don't realize it's out there. So I just put my head down and work and do my thing. And then all of a sudden something will come in but it's because of what i put out there in the first place yeah so uh i've had a ton of really bad health problems i don't know if you know about that no but i won't get into all of it but at one point in time i was in the hospital uh one of the times i was in the hospital i had just gotten done with uh, getting a major abdominal surgery from here to like here's a cut wide open they had a, it's a long story i've had a lot of them uh four to be exact and and during this time i had this surgery done and uh i was in the hospital and during that time, I had I had torn the sagittal band in my middle knuckle. So basically, my my hand was like this. I could not play bass. I was screwed. And and I was like, you know, what the outcome was going to be. And so I had to have surgery to put that back together. So I was laying in the hospital with this giant incision and tubes in me and IVs and stuff. This was rebuilt and in a like a splint cast. I was like laying there. You know, and I'm on every drug known to man, basically just trying to survive. And uh, my wife's like, uh, hey, you want to check this email out? I want to check this email. Like, I don't want to care about email right now. I'm not feeling so good. So now you might want to look at this one. And it was Mick, who was uh, Joe Satriani's manager. It's like, hey, uh, Joe likes the work that you've done with Paul Gilbert and blah, blah, blah. And he's doing this thing called G4. It's a camp, and he's going to have, like, you know, these other guitar player wizards on it, and you basically pay bass for the whole thing. And I'm, like, looking at my hand. But it was nine months from when I got the email. So it was, like, I got this email, and I had nine months from that time to when this was. And I was, like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Yes. I'll be there, you know, and, and, wow. and I thought, well, in five months, if I literally go, I can't, I'm not going to play, I'm not going to be able to do it. That still gives them four months to hire somebody else. And anybody who's a great player could just walk right into that and be happy and, and, yeah, right. and take the gig. You know, I'm probably cheaper than most other people. So I'm sure, you know, you think that affects things a little bit or no, um, <laughs> It doesn't hurt. It yeah, doesn't right. hurt because I'm still trying to work my way into things. And so, like, you know, I don't go, well, my name is this, so you have to pay me this many oh, dollars. Oh, I see. You know what I mean? Because you're putting my name on a marquee at this point. And, and at, you know, at the point where he's asking me to do it, I'm still just, I'm a side guy. And, and I still am. And so it's like, I take the gig. And so I got it together, though. I was able to do it. And it was really amazing because it was like, uh, it was uh, Andy Timmons, Mike Keneally, and Paul Gilbert and Joe Satriani and I and Bruce Roulet from Racer X. And I played bass for all of them. And Mike Keneally's music was probably the most demanding stuff I've ever had to learn in my life. Just no kidding. crazy time signatures and stuff. Well, he's a, a Zappa guy, yeah. you know. So it's like that comes through. And, like, his training came through. And so, like, learning his music was really difficult. But I did it. And so, like, it was one of those things where, you know, after I got through with that, I kind of reminded myself, like, you know, if you can do this... Just never give up. Keep doing it, you know, because the health thing has been a really major issue that's, like, taken me out a lot where yeah. I had to stop. 
touring. I had to stop doing stuff. Get my health back together. And sometimes during that you go, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get, get back on out there and do this again next time. But the more times I get through things, the more I remind myself, of course I will. I'll be back to do it again. And so like just last year, and over the last couple of years, I had another major situation happen where I'd have another major abdominal surgery. It almost killed me. I made it through that one. And then about eight months after that, I had a, the situation with the hernia went bad and I had all these, and so I had have another surgery again. And that was about, that was in April. So I'm back now. I'm standing up again. I can sing and play and everything's cool. So that's the, like sort of the reminder of my, to, to myself. To like when the when the shit hits the fan, don't quit, don't give up, don't feel sorry for yourself and cry about it. Just be ready, work, get yourself back, and when the opportunity comes back up, you gotta be ready. Wow. And so that's where I am right now. Like I'm ready with my Looper show. I'm I'm ready to go out and t- and be an opener for somebody again. And that was really what was the path was. Uh, you know, I would this happened before everything happened with COVID. Um, the stadium tour with Def Leppard was booked. And I was, uh, I was always their sub for the last few years. I I was the guy that in case something happened with their bass player, I would get uh, flown out and show up and be there for Def Leppard. Yeah, and uh, I never actually had to play the gig. Funny. Well, you played you played with um, Phil so, Collins. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, That's right. I did G3. Played with him, but I've done some other stuff with him too. We, and he's a good friend. And uh, while I was out with G3, that's when he sort of talked me into doing this solo looper idea. Oh. You know, he had lost his voice while we were on the tour, and he's like, asked me if I could pick up some of his vocals. Sure. And uh, after the first night, he was like, oh, my God, why are you not a lead singer? What are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm just a bass player who sings good background vocals. And he's like, no, you're a lead singer, and you should be. And so, you know, throughout that tour, uh, we drank a lot of Starbucks coffee in the morning, and he and I would just get up and go find one and just sit there. And he would advise me, like, what are you going to do when you get off this tour? you got to... You've really got to pursue this idea with this looper and solo thing and your voice and blah, blah, blah. And so I came home from that tour and I spent two years making that album. And when it was done, uh, the stadium tour was booked and all was good. And after that, there was this tour called the 2020 Vision Tour. And it was, it was sort of the mop-up dates to after the stadium tour. Some of the smaller cities where you can't do a stadium tour, but you could do an arena. Um, so the tour was... Uh, Def Leppard, ZZ Top, and I was the opener with my looper. Wow. And, yeah, it was all booked, and all was good, and then COVID, you know, screwed that the all kibosh up. on that and ended wow. that. And so... Dusty now, Hill was still now, alive. Now Dusty's gone. Oh, it's all different. And man. so that's never going to happen the way that it was going to. And those are the, the punches you roll with in this thing. You know, it's like, that would have made a major difference for me. I would have been out in front of all those people uh, for a few months, being able to introduce what I'm doing as a solo artist and stuff, and that really is a, a good leg up to get started. Heck yeah. And so now, none of that's happening. Um, I'm not subbing for Def Leppard this thing uh, because oh. of, I couldn't really get myself my health together in time to say, yes, guys, you can count on me. Um, and in good in good faith, I could never do that. And so, like, that had to go. That has to go on, and and it's fine. And I have to take that on the chin and understand that that's the way my life is. Tough one, but yeah. But at the same time, wh- what's it going to get out of the way of? Like what you know? Because Phil's like, don't, 
don't stop doing what you're doing. Get out there and play every little show and everything you can because the opportunity to be an opener is going to come along again. And when that day comes, you'll be so ready to go because you've been doing this thing nonstop. You know, and that's yeah. kind of where I am right now. It's like I'm taking that advice and playing as many shows as I can with my looper and trying to get that thing to be where I spend most of my time. Let me talk about the looper thing for a second because I don't think everybody probably knows exactly what you're talking about when you say looper. Everybody's right. not because it's 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 a newer thing that's come out. Tyrone Hornbuckle, who you know, Tyrone. Oh yeah. He does it all the time. Yep. That's his. You know, he's yep. he's great at it too. It sure is. Um. So basically what it is is you guys have a number of pedals. A lot of times it's pedals because you got your hands oh, are yeah. occupied with other things. And you have banks of stuff that you can record with or there's already pre-recorded stuff in some of these banks. I don't know if you do it that way. So I don't really pre-record anything. Right. So um, a lot of times it's you, you create a rhythm, you record it, then you hit a pedal. That rhythm will play on a loop, which right. is thus the looper. And then that rhythm's playing, and now you can play over that rhythm with another can, thing. You're basically a recording studio. You're just right? adding layers, yeah, on the fly, live. And right. and so you have a thing out called Thought of Everything. That's a, that's the last thing that you've, you put There's out. There's the CD, but I put out three it, singles since then, too. Oh, that are, right, the last work that you put out was Thought of Everything. So when you're going out on these loopers, you're playing music from the, the new singles yeah. and that CD. Yeah. There's no cover songs, no. none of that stuff going right. on. You're playing your own music. That's right. Now, the thing about you that makes you very unique is that a lot of the loopers that are doing this are guitar players. Right. And I, understandably so. Guitar. It lends they, itself a little bit more. You're doing it with yeah. the bass. Right. So the first time I heard about this, I'm thinking, before I heard it, I heard it when I heard about it, I'm thinking this is going to be Big Bottom Spinal Tap right. bass <laughs> song, right? Sounds I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm like, is it good? and it's nothing like that. And it's, cool. and and what? I don't even know what to say. It reminds me of because. Well, that's good. Yeah, it's it's not. There's parts. There's parts. The, the thing that's cool about it is that your voice is the melody. Your voice is the high end. Right. And because of the looper thing, another thing that with the loopers is you guys are able to put harmonizers on your voices for certain like choruses and stuff like that well, where it sounds like a group vocal no i literally sing all of them so <laughs> i'll do one time then the next time oh, i do the is harmony that how you and do then the it? next time i do the harmony and that yeah so like oh. like the song thought of everything when i build that it's it takes me like three or four times around to get all the background vocals in it because it goes thing 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 yeah it's like all thing, over the thing. place so i have to Record those. And so, like, while you're watching me play that song, wow. I record all that. And by the time I get back to the chorus, you've forgotten that I did all that. And then, boom, I hit, and then we're in a Everything's like, oh, like, like, yeah. So it's that, really cool. Thank you. It, no, it really is. I, I mean, mean I, can't, I can't say that I came up with the idea of doing it, because I didn't. But Because Ed, Ed Sheeran is, like, the best yeah. looping artist ever. Like, he's a great songwriter. I'm, you know... I don't listen to Ed Sheeran's music much just because it's not really my style of music to listen to, but I really appreciate the way that that guy does what he does with loopers and stuff. He's amazing. And so when I, this whole idea, Phil was like, that's what he told me. He's like, you know, I've seen Ed Sheeran do this. He's like, but do a version of that where it's like groovy and bass heavy and sort of, and so that's really where I like the idea was like, these people do looping and Ed Sheeran's kind of the best. So I watched him do it. And it's like, he's really smart with it. Yeah, yeah, I can see, I can see what you mean by smart too, because you have so much available if you want to. Right. And it's just a matter of knowing when to do what. Well, how and do you switch parts? Because that's the thing. It's like there's only so many parts, and you you have to, you a song has to have more than like two parts. Yeah. And sometimes it needs more than three. So what do you do? You're like, you've got, only got these many parts to work with, and so when you're writing, you have to keep that in mind that you have to be clever with how you craft 
the songs that you're making so that you can literally do looper. it again. Yeah, so, so, so in other words, you make the songs looper friendly. You have to, you have to write them in the looper. And, and, and Ed Sheeran's really good at it because he was like a busker. He'd be out on the street just making up songs with his looper, and that got him really good at sort of being quick at putting together a song. Because that's the other thing. Like, I can build a song in my looper, but how long does it take before you're bored of me building the song? And unless you're a super fan of the song, you're not going to want to see me go around nine times trying to build the song before I sing it. Yeah. And so that's part of the writing process too like how quickly can i put this together and turn it into a song while someone's because attention spans this long (laughs) we know you know what i mean and (laughs) so you you have to catch them real quick with something that you're doing that they go ahead i'll watch a little bit longer and then something else has to get them and so before before they can lose interest you have to start singing something that's what i've noticed like if you don't start singing something within about 30 seconds or something you're going to probably someone lose. turns over and they start talking they start, to the next person it. and then that's the end of it you lost it. their attention yep and they're like hey uh too late and then they're talking about something else yeah and, and so that's part of like the whole process of like building and recording the songs and stuff i, I had to be conscientious of some of that but well, so. you also got to be conscientious of the fact that you don't have guitars right and that you don't have these instruments that are kind of required to make music the way we're used to hearing it. But so it, you've had to like it's compensate. Tr- it's true, but if you th- if you listen to pop music, like turn on the radio and listen to pop, there's not a lot of instruments going you're, on. You're right. This is what I noticed when I was listening to your songs. Is that your your songs do lend itself to a poppy kind of a thing, right. but poppy in a way, not not cheese pop. You know what no, I mean? Right. Not well, like I'm old, so I can't do that. <laughs> right. Well, and you know, and, and one thing when I was listening to that that I that I find because I was listening to Unified Culture also the newer stuff which is not like with the old stuff. It's right. definitely progressed into something that's really wild. Um, extremely inter- entertaining to Thank listen you. to. No, that is. That, that, <laughs> that is very entertaining. We just had a funk band on here, uh, Fatback Mango, not that long ago. And uh, so I was listening to that, and that was kind of an introduction to funk. Uh, another Parma guy, uh, Tom Zubel, was, okay. was in that band. and But he... Uh, but when I was listening to uh, this, there's there's a lot more going. There's it's not just a funk band. Yeah. There's yeah. all kinds of parts we and come all from kinds. So many backgrounds of, and holy mackerel, like that, yeah. man! And who's doing the vocals on that? Jason Popson. Cool. Yeah, he's one of the old. He was in Mushroom Head. You know, oh. that was, he was one of the main Mushroom Head singers for the most time. He's J Man. So if you know. Oh, that's it. That's, See, that's Jason another Popson. thing. He's the one who, like I said, he came up with the concept Unified Culture. That was his name and everything. So that oh, oh, he's oh, the oh, one oh, who. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, he's so he's the OG from the from the original. Yeah, Jason is the lead singer of the Unified Culture. Is it just you two or the two original guys? We're the two main original. Guys, and then yeah. so you've had you have, yeah. you've had some turnover throughout yeah. the. Yeah, my brother Mike is one of the. He's been in the band the longest too. Now, um, as far as a drummer goes, we have Eric Matthews. Now he plays with everybody. You probably know who he is. Um, but the original drummer was Vic Novak. Yeah. And you know he over the years things happen and we ended up not playing with him anymore and unfortunately he's passed away since yeah just recently actually and and that's that does another thing you know like jj also had passed yeah. away and you're like so that's that that, that is sad it yeah. is sad that we've lost we lost some of the great musicians for the years and and friends like you know, yeah guys great guys friends since we were kids you know and you know i didn't stay as close with vic over the years because things happen and who knows what but in the end I loved the guy. He was my friend, and I, I'm really sad that it ended the way that it did with him. So I just. So let's go back. This is a, so. So you're 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 a kid. Let's just start right there, real quick. You're a kid. You decided. You just got to saying. You, you, you know. You, you first thing you were listening to was what? Would you say? 
Like, what was the first thing you heard where you think that you were like music, not just bass, but music in general? Because the I first, think I think first... you guys are a little different than most people. Yeah. The guys like you who are like obsessed with music, become musicians and the whole thing. It's weird. Like, I'm weird with that because I started out with uh, when I was the first thing I ever really knew of a mu- like a band or anything was Ario Speedwagon. It's pretty funny. Not really. Like, we were me and my brother, uh, one, not Mike, but my brother Steve. Uh, my dad used to go to the library in Chardon when we were kids, and, and and like we would always go, and we discovered like the records, and like the headphones and stuff, because we'd like look at books for a while and we'd be like bored, and then we found these records, like oh cool, and so I was I liked fish, I liked fishing and stuff, and my brother Steve pulled this album out and says you can tune a piano but you can't tune a fish, he's like this has got a fish on it, let's listen to it, I was like all right cool, so we throw that on and like every time we went to the to the library after that we listened to ario speedwagon and i was like this is pretty cool like i don't know and <laughs> heard it from a friend you know yeah well and, even be, but before that they were they weren't they weren't a bad band no i i liked them when i was a kid so yeah. that was like my introduction to music and then my uh my parents didn't listen to a lot of music uh but the rubber soul was at my parents house and i used to Beatles. listen to that yeah and uh then my brother mike uh, came home from school when I was in like I was maybe in fourth grade and so he was like maybe in sixth or seventh grade and Def Leppard was like this thing like like they were doing an air guitar concert con- you know they oh yeah I concert. remember so them all mining company and all yeah. them places who used to do yeah. all that stuff well this was in school though this is like oh, in yeah. high school he was in seventh or eighth grade or something like that and uh, they were doing this um, they were doing the air guitar thing so they he, Def Leppard was this they were doing pyromania. You know, yeah. a photograph. That was the song. That was the album. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so he, he was like, comes home with the pyromania. I was like, this is cool. And so we listened to it, and I was like, oh, it's awesome. And he's like, I want to buy a guitar. I want to get a guitar. And so he started hounding my parents. He wants a guitar, and I was like, well, I want to play something too. That'd be cool. And I'm like, well, I want to play a guitar though. So I asked my mom, I'm like, what can I play? That's like that. She goes, oh, you could play a bass. Do you know what a bass is? I'm like, no. And and so she's like, well, your grandmother played bass. I'm like, so my mom's mom played like the upright bass. Oh, that's super cool. That's, yeah, yeah. That's... And so, but she's she and I'm like, well, I don't want to. That I'm too small for that. You know, at the time I was eight or nine years old. And uh, it's, and so she turns on like the radio and finds like disco music. It's like bass is like. Dum, 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 dum. She's like, that's the bass. And I was like, oh, I want to do that. That's cool. And so, I. That's how it started. I cutted the little. I cut the little. Uh, cut it. I cut the little uh, picture out of the Sears Wishbook catalog of bass. And <laughs> I just like carried it around and looked at it for months. No I kidding. Set it on my headstand. I was like, my nightstand. I was like, and finally I got it. Like my parents decided we're sick of hearing the because I had two brothers and my brother Mike wanted to play guitar and my brother Steve wanted to play drums and I was going to play bass and we were going to have a band. You know, so they so sick of hearing us complaining, wanting the stuff. So finally they just got it. You know, and so we got. Got these instruments. It took years for us to actually get like wanting to actually really play it. And what changed me was uh, Rock School. They remember that show from when we were kids, Herbie Hancock. Nah, I don't. Yeah, so so Rock School. So we found this on. It was like on PBS, Public Broadcasting. And so Herbie Hancock was the host of the show, and he had these three musicians. One was a lady who played guitar, uh, another guy played drums, and another guy played bass and they would sort of talk through music and so here herbie hancock would say well today we're going to do rock and roll and so oh they do like a, the style of music exactly first. and so then they would go oh there's you know 
ACDC and this and that. And then the the musicians would talk about how you would play these types of grooves. They'd actually have the musicians, like like not the guys from the band, oh, but these the three people that that were on the show. Um, and they were excellent musicians. They were all British, and they you know they would explain how these things were played. So if you're going to play reggae, you know the bass has to do this type of thing. And anyways, uh, the episode with that was funk came on, and you know the first thing that I saw was was Larry Graham. And they start asking him, you know, about what the role of the bass is in, in, in music, as far as, especially in like funk. And the words that he spoke for the next minute and a half in the playing, it changed my life forever and ever and ever and ever. I was like 11. And he's sitting there with this red bass, and they say, you know, what, what did he, he goes, well, so with bass, the most important thing that you do is you, is you hold to things together, and you, if there's a vocal... You keep it simple, and you stay out of the way until there's maybe a bridge or something, and then you can stretch out, so to speak. But but mostly, you really want to keep it simple while you're doing a song that has vocals that's shining. That's that's the idea. And so they're like, well, do an example. And so he had his buddies like playing guitar, and so he's like, just goes right down the middle of it, boom, but really simple basing. And I was like, well, that sounds pretty cool. You know, so, so he's like, but if there's a space where you can stretch and you can be more complicated. Now maybe the guitar takes the back seat and the bass gets more complicated. And then he was like, bah, 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 and he did all this crazy slapping stuff. And I had never seen that before as a kid. And my, I was like, this sounds like nine people are playing the bass right now. Like, how is that happening? You know, I'm like this kid going right. thump, thump, like trying to figure out how to play one note. And I watched that and it totally blew my mind. And I was like, I want, if you can do that, that's the same instrument. If I can do that then. So I want to learn how to do that. And I just got super into all, like, uh, George Clinton and Funkadelic and, like, you know, Bootsy Collins and all these guys that were crazy, like, funk musicians that I had never even been exposed to, you know, growing up in Chardon, Ohio. Just just from this show, basically set you on that path to find out about all this stuff. And once I saw that, it was over. It was like I wanted everything to do with bass. I wanted everything to learn every, every way I could. And I got into more different types of bass players that weren't necessarily only funk bass players, but like people like Getty Lee, who like I took his, like I feel like I stole from so many people, but I never listened to their music much. That's the thing that I was trying to get at as far as like what music I listen I would listen to something and like, oh, I really like the way that that is. And then I would try to make something like my for myself that was kind of like that. But it never sounded like what. Right, I right, right, it right, right. It was more of a, just a, a influenced type thing. Right. And then, but it still came out like crud. It just ended up being, and that's how I developed everything that I've ever done as far as like writing and recording and stuff. I'd hear something and I'd go, that's so cool. And then I would try to do it and I couldn't do it just like what they did. But in my version, it was this, you know. And so like. When I would listen to bass players, I never saw them other than Larry Graham because I saw Rock School, but I would listen I would imagine what they must be doing to make it sound like that. Oh. And so then I would try to make it sound like that. And that's, like, I developed all these different techniques. Then I'd end up seeing the bass player that I thought it was, and it's like, no, it doesn't. he's not done done it like that at all. But it, but now you've created your these version techniques. version worked. You, and then yeah. you've created these new techniques that you it can do. Yeah, me. whatever. I like, mean. like we did later on in life... Um, a few years back, I did. A, I was on tour with Paul Gilbert, and he wanted to do uh, Roundabout, which is you know the Yes song yeah. Roundabout. So we have no keyboard player, and you know we have two guitar players and and me and drums and Jeff Bowders, amazing drummer. Tony Spinner was the uh, he he was in Toto, so he was oh. our second guitar player and vocalist as well. And then Paul was in the middle, and I 
pace and sing. And so he wanted to do Roundabout. And so that song is a picked bass line. It's really bouncy and it's picked. I, I suck at playing with a pick. I, I'm okay at it, but I'm not Chris Squire with a pick. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm going to play Roundabout with Paul, but I'm not, I, I, you know, that, but I had this technique from playing with these things earlier that made me be able to kind of get the exact get flavor that little skip of what without that's. having to use a pick. Yep. And so when I we went to go play the song, Paul was like, I'm really interested to see how you're going to play that because you don't play with a pick. And I was like, okay, well, it ended up, it's on a record. It's like we we toured that song for the whole tour, and he and it was recorded every night, and every night it came out kick-ass. And so on his follow-up record, he put that out as a live track. So you can hear that. And it's like when I listen back to it, I'm really, I'm really satisfied with how the bass came out of that because it is not how Chris Squire plays. Yeah, right. right. The technique isn't the same. Completely but, but, different. But you wouldn't necessarily know it just from listening but to it. I had it. the headphones on so much listening and trying to – pick up every little nuanced thing that he did that I just internalized how he played it. And then in, my ear didn't hear my hands doing it right. Just keep adjusting until I did. And that's the, you know, that's really the key with stuff like that. It's the sound you hear in your head. You have to learn how to make it come out of your hands. Yeah. Right. And, and, yeah. That, and you, you came up at a time where there was no YouTube. So you, you know, literally you had to like, you're, you had to trust your ears here and right. what your knowledge of this instrument is. And even with all that, you're wrong probably more than you're right, right. as far as the stuff that how they did it. Yeah, I have no like, idea. You kind of you kind of uh, mimic it, but not the way they did it. Right, and then it's, it, it kind of gives you your own flavor. It on totally it, so. creates your yeah. own thing. So from there, what's the first band you're in? Like, how, how, when do you when did you first decide that? I mean, aside from you said you guys were going to form your own band. Like we the, did, we had our own band, and it was called oh my gosh, <laughs> it was called Outrage. Oh. It was me, both of my brothers, a kid named Frank Atina. Hi, Frank, if you're still paying attention to me. <laughs> I'm still out here doing this. But uh, he was a great singer, and he was a good friend of ours. And we used to um, practice over at his house, and his parents had this big party every year where, like, all their friends would come over. And, dude, we played, like, Black Sabbath and stuff like oh, that. Oh, really? And, like, yeah, his parents were so cool and lenient to let us just, like, play for their friends. And, and we went out there on the deck and played, and there was, like, 150. How old were you thinking about this time? I was maybe 11. Oh, my God. Yeah. Was wow, that cool. would be cool, though. Yeah. But, what I mean, now that we're older, it would be cool if you had some... 11, 12, 13-year-olds playing. I would right? love that. that. Yeah. I would yeah. love that. It's, it was, it's cool. Exactly. You'd show up at a party and see these kids. Especially if like, you can play the songs. If yeah, you can play we were them. playing like Iron Man and War Pigs and everything and like yeah. doing it pretty good. That's cool, man. Yeah. So that, <laughs> And then we did a bunch of original songs. That was the thing. Like, One of the first things we did was write songs. Oh, really? Yeah. We, we just thought it would be cool to like yeah. have our own songs. And so that was our band. We had like 10 or 15 of our own original songs. Then we played like Black Sabbath and stuff like that. Uh, you know, for our first band ever. So that's your first experience, really, with with playing with other people, yeah. and that was and it was family. Yeah. So some people might think that's easier. I would think that's harder. I would think it's a little different. <laughs> you know, part of that whole thing with like playing bass and having family around that want to see you like do it. Like my parents, they you know, they weren't like super music fans. So partially, some of the music that I was doing was probably annoying for them to, have oh. to listen to. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, but, yeah. You know, well, you were because you were into the harder stuff. Yeah, the, so I, I would imagine that wasn't you know. But the thing was that changed me into wanting to like do more with a bass than just typical bass things was when my parents had like my aunt and uncle over and they were like, oh, I want to hear you play your bass. We heard you have this bass, and so like 
I bring the bass out and I start playing bass lines out of songs. It's yeah, like, right. Boom, boom, yeah, boom, right. Boom. It's just, well, what song is that? <laughs> yeah. It's like, you don't recognize it? It's this and that. It's like, no, we don't know. It's like, oh, what about this one? And like, no matter what I played, they would they had no idea. And yeah. the interest was very, you know, like they lose interest because it's just like this bass. And I'm like, well, it seems like I put a lot of work into this instrument for no one to want to listen to it. To it. Yeah, because it's not. It's definitely usually not something that's like a solo instrument. Right. Well, and nowadays record, it is. But yeah. Well, like back yeah, then, yeah, not right. so much. And and so it's like, wh- what do I do with it? And I never wanted to play in front of anyone by myself ever again. Because <laughs> oh. I was like, well, if that's all you're gonna get, then you don't want to play in front of anyone. You didn't like the myself. reactions that you got when you were playing. They were just like, yeah, it was just like, okay, I don't know what that is. That doesn't sound like a song to me. Right. You know. So that <laughs> right. that was like a kind of a shocking thing to me at that age. And I was like, all right, well, I have to do something with this instrument. That it's for. And so then I learned all the songs, learning songs, playing a band and stuff like that. And now that I got older, I'm like, you idiot, you should have just kept playing by yourself, figured out how to do it. Because now I'm back to that. Yeah, yeah it's a full circle, myself. right? Now you're back to yourself. Well, it's a little different. Right. You but got... now I can play in front of somebody by myself and they go, oh, that's a song. I can tell what that song is. Yeah, so, right. So I finally figured out how to do it. Are you like this with the other stuff also? Um like obsessive with things because to get to the point where you're at now in the base, you had to be somewhat of an obsessive obsessive personality, wanting wanting to constantly do better. You're never satisfied. That's the only kind of person that gets to the point where you're at. It's an unfortunate problem. It can be, but you have an outlet. Right. So th- so therefore it becomes an asset. It it can be, but it can also cripple you sometimes because you're not living up to the expectation you had in your head of the obsession that you thought you were going to be able to accomplish at this period of time by then. So, so that's. Uh, do you feel that way right now? Are you still not satisfied fully with? I'll never be satisfied. I will never be satisfied. Never. No, because every time I ever play with anyone, I always learn something. I don't care who they are, whether they played for ten minutes or a hundred years. I always learn something from who I'm playing with. Have you ever gotten a little frustrated by that, where 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 you you get into a situation with somebody? I mean, everybody always says, "Well, no, I always want to get better. I always want to learn." I get that too. But does it ever get? Do you ever just be like, see somebody do something, and now it, you realize that you don't know everything again, and you're like, oh and you're just like, this guy. Now all I got to learn that. Now I got to figure this out. Does that happen? I mean, it, it happens all the time. Yeah, right. That's called like, you know, that if you can't recognize that, you, the right. growth is over. Get your head out of your ass. Well, the growth is over yeah, for that you. too. Yeah, you know right. what I mean. Yeah. And it's like, well, we're here to grow as humans and try to do better before we get out of here. And get out of our meat suits. Yeah, I feel like, like seriously. <laughs> yeah, right. I that's what you. we're trying to do. We're all flawed. Our meat suits. I love it. Like we're all here, flawed souls, like on Earth, and like, and you know, from everyone you know, everyone's got a little dark spot in them somewhere. Oh yeah. Just, there's something. We all got it. And I, I, that's not to get into life philosophy, but honest to God, I believe that that's what we're all here doing is trying to fix whatever that is in us, and instead of. Pointing fingers at everyone else's flaws to try to forget yours. Instead, like maybe focus on yours so that yeah. when the meat suit life is over, that you're ready to be with whatever else oh, happens. Oh, I see what you're saying. So we're all so, like, this is like this training ground. Yeah, and, this is like boot camp. And so you keep getting these lessons handed to you and like, man, I really, I just wish I was more patient with things. Well, what do you get? You don't get more patience. You get a whole bunch of shit that makes you need patience. <laughs> Until that's you learn true. patience. That's true. Right? That's, but I, I really think that's what life is all about. It, it's that. And so as soon as you think you, you've done it, oh, I'm good, I, I'm, it's done, you, you're not there. Yeah, right. Well, and, and, and you have an opportunity to always kind of go meet new people and you're meeting and people who are 
on bigger stages than you've been on right. and stuff. So therefore, the opportunity to learn has become. You find them to be generally more humble than the people that have never made. Not it. not to what you expect, I believe. Right? You, it, you meet these people and they're probably a little less the star type figure. It's because that they're satisfied with who they are and they got the success they were hoping to get you know through their creativity yeah. they got out there and it struck a nerve with a certain amount of people and that will definitely make you feel valid and so once you feel valid within yourself it's so much easier to be nice to everybody and that's what you find out with a lot of the really successful people that that you'll run into is they're really nice and people are like why well, so nice too it's, it's like why most people expect people that are very successful to be very unnice and yeah be, you know snobby right but Especially in music, most people are so grateful that they got through some way that when you finally get there, you're like really nice and grateful because you don't want it to go away. Yeah, right, right, right. But when you're kicking and scratching on your way up, uh, you'll notice that a lot of people are not that way. They're they're not as nice. Sort of wanting to push your head underwater. Well, it's competitive because it's, right. it's a competitive nature there. Right, and so that's really the difference between working with the, the guys that are on the level of they've been successful as opposed to all of us that are still trying to be successful. And what's what's your gauge of level of success? Most people gauge it on whether or not they're financially independent from what it is that they've set out to do in life. That would be yeah. a benchmark of I was successful to afford my life with the passion that I had. Like that and as a musician, that's exactly what happens when you become successful. Your your passion that you set out to do afforded you success and and so that's really what's and so when you get that if you're ungrateful and you're a jerk everyone points it out it's like dude you have everything it's like so no one wants to be that guy yeah right unless they're just in this weird bubble somewhere there's kind of a blueprint now for it though right because like in the beginning you had a lot of assholes in music and stuff but i think it's like you were saying as years have gone by people have watched the story play out and they don't want to be that person. Right. They're like, well, the blueprint's already there in place. Right. How do I not become that? And I think you've probably seen more and more people like that because there's a lot of people who have died and then their 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 legacy is tarnished and stuff because of the, how they treated people through their life and stuff. If you're if you're a musician and you're trying to become what you're trying to become, that's the last thing you want. That's right. That's the last thing you want. You want to leave a legend. That's the that's one of the things you want to be when you're a musician. Leave something good behind. Leave a I think we all should think that whether we're musicians or not. Yeah, right. Um, if you really think about uh, creation, in it in it the just in itself the entire concept of creation. So you know I don't know, it's like this entire thing was created somehow, by somebody. So the closest you can be to being up to greatness which is what a god or something like that, is to create, because God creates everything, created everything, right? Depending on what you believe in. Right. But that's the idea. And so, like, in my brain, I think, well, the closest to being able to be something that is great like that is to create things. And not for reasons of wanting something in return, but just to create things, create music, just create it, because hopefully someone will be helped, by what you're creating yeah. and whether you're, cre you know, I'm a musician, so that's what I create. I also create a whole bunch of other stuff too, crafts of things and stuff like that, that I make for people and different stuff like that. But each one, like what you're doing right now, you, you've started this, you guys have started this podcast idea and it isn't to glorify yourself because if it was, you'd sit here and talk about all your ideas. <laughs> you would, you would be like, Hey, I think this and I think that, and you would try to be like, 
a personality of someone's opinions of things, and that's right. not what you're doing. You're bringing people in to give them a chance to talk about what they're doing, and through that, that's of course going to bring you know traffic your way and, and stuff like that. But that's not what the not set the out is, not right? The, the set out is is to try to like put a community together and give get some some light on the things that are people are doing that have been ignored by a lot of other people. Definitely. And I think that's really where you're coming from with it. And not to put words in your mouth. No, but I mean that's 100. percent You just did. You put words in my mouth perfectly. But but I think that's, exactly that's what we and, do. and so you're creating something. You guys are here creating something. And so that's as far as humanity goes and the meat suit life. That's our to me, that's the highest level of something you can do. Yeah, it is. It's fun. And, and, and we, Pat and I also have a music thing, too, that we create. We write our own music sometimes. Stuff. And you're oh, right. So you, it is. It is. It is. So there, there's there's nothing quite like taking nothing and then, well, and, and, and what people don't understand about music, especially if you're writing songs, is that those songs are born way before they're created right. in your head. And and it's, 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 it's literally like when you hear a song on the radio and you can't get the song out of your head. Mm-hmm. That song already exists. Now it's in your head. You can't get it out. It's no different, except you just don't hear it on the radio first. It's just there. And the, the key to musician is how do I take this and through these tools and instruments, how do I explain right. this to somebody else, basically. Right. And when you get to that point where you're done with a song... Man, that is like a, a really cool feeling. It, it, it is. It really is. And, and you know, that was the other thing about, like you had brought up, like obsessing about being proficient with playing. The thing that I never wanted in the way of my creativity was some technique flaw that was making me not be able to do what you just said. Like I have this idea and it sounds like this and I can't literally physically make it happen. That's like. That's like haunting uh, to you, huh? No. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, right. don't let that ever happen. And so, like, that's part of the whole reason to get up to speed with being able to do anything you want on it so that now I can make a whole CD of music that you can listen to it and not go, oh, that's some guy playing bass and trying to make a song. It, it sounds like regular music. And, and so, by, but by all those obsessive hours of trying to get good at playing the instrument, that, that was what it got out of the way of, basically. Did you take lessons from no. anybody? So everything's self-taught. Yeah. Now I will say that I I got lessons, man, like from right. No, not yeah, not not. I'm talking about formal lessons. Formal lessons no. from a, another. I'll tell you what. What really was a cool thing. Uh, one of the Paul Gilbert always did a uh, a VIP lesson. Okay, and he did like so you could come to the show, and if you were a guitar player, you paid a certain amount of extra money. I think it was like 300 bucks, which is really reasonable, and you get like an hour with Paul in your guitar and you got like all this swag, like ton, like shirt and picks and like stuff that was worth the 300 bucks without the lesson. You right. know what I mean? Because well, people cool. really wanted this stuff. And he would only sell five or six per show because he wanted to make sure that everybody had an individual experience. And so the VIPs would show up, they'd all have their guitars and he would sit down with them. Put, he had six chairs around him, six amps, and he would sit with them, and he would say, okay, here's what we're going to do. Uh, you know, we're going to get, first he wants to find out what everyone's level is, how, where they're, what, you know, and how he can help them. And so how do we do it? So he's like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get a rhythm going. Everybody get that going. And I'm going to start. We're going to do it in A. And then point to the next guy, and then he's going to play a little lead solo. And then the next guy, and he would do this around in a circle maybe three or four times. And by the time he got done with three or four times, he would kind of get a good gauge, gauge. on where 
what he could help each guy with. And that's what he would do. He would. That's so cool. And dude, I never missed a lesson. I, 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 any, every time I would get just an earshot and hide and lay down and listen because I would just be like, oh my God. You know, then and this, to, you're saying this is why you were playing bass with them? Mm-hmm. So you so you were eavesdropping on, oh, the, yeah. on the lessons. Oh, That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah, yeah. Because I was like, I'm learning something. Because wow. I, would, I would listen, and I would hear the players play, and then I would hear what Paul would find to fix them. And it would always be, like, exciting to me. Like, I can't wait to hear what he says to this guy. I can't wait to. And, dude, seriously, every single time, by the time that guy would play again, it was a different player. It was like, holy shit, I can listen to this guy play now. And the first time I heard him play, it was like, like oh, no, uh, <laughs> he, he's struggling. And, <laughs> and he just happened in an hour's time, basically. Ten minutes. No? Like, he could get him in ten minutes because he would be like, okay, what you should work on is this. And then he would spell it out and play it perfect just so, and make sure that they could play it in a very slow fashion and make sure that everything was right. And then it was their opportunity to, to do that and run with it. And so then they go back around in the circle again, and every time they would be it would be so much better because they would be playing notes that made sense. They would be playing something that was feeling oriented instead of just trying to play something really fast to impress Paul. Because that's what, you know, Paul said, he goes, one of the things that's frustrating is that because of the playing that I do and the stuff that's on my records, that's what everyone wants to do. And so when they come to the lesson, they want to show me that they can play really fast. Yeah. It's more like, well, well, let me impress you. Yeah. And it's like, no, we're not doing that. And so once that, like, you know, got through everybody's heads that the whole idea was to just improve and, you know, make yourself better. And it just goes along with everything else. It's like, make yourself better. And so if I'm out on tour and there's someone like Paul Gilbert giving lessons every day, what am I going to do? Should I go uh, eat a sandwich or like go hide? No, I'm going to listen and I'm going to learn everything I can because this is finite. This isn't going to happen every day of my life. I'm on this tour with this guy for three months and I don't know when the next time I'm going to get out here is, but every single minute of this, I'm going to soak up every bit of learning I can. And Very so cool. that's, that's where my lessons came in was just like being around guys like that. And when it, when it comes to playing bass, it's usually um, in most bands historically, it's usually the bass drums are your, they're like, a, they're like a marriage in the band. Those two guys got to really kind of play together. They're the right. rhythm section for the most part. Um, but, but what you're doing is aside from unified culture, you're you're a hired gun for a lot of these bands. You're coming in, or you're you're a backup or sure. whatever. Yeah. And so you're you're playing with a lot of drummers. You're playing. You're you're coming in and play. What do you notice? There's there's a time frame before you guys start to gel together, or do you feel like after a certain time of playing just music in general, any two a drummer and a bass player could just get together and it's just boom, it happens. Okay, so it can always happen that way, and it always. It always depends on the intent and the perception of said players. So drummers that, most drummers that I know, they want to get along really good with the bass player because it, it's, it's a dance, okay? Because the bass, I hate to tell everyone this, is the most powerful instrument on stage always. Nice. It does. I can prove it to anyone who wants to play with me because I will I will steer the band. I will make you play too fast. I'll make you play too slow. I'll make you change parts in the wrong spot because I'll lead you in it wrong. Everyone thinks it's the drums. It's very, that do very, that. very powerful instrument because yeah. it pushes so much power and low end and it like envelops the sound. So and everybody sings off of the root notes and everything's sort of based off of the root notes. So when the bass player makes a mistake, usually if he's if he's playing with conviction, it sounds like the band screwed up because you're 
you're riding on the bass when you're listening to music. And so when that bass does something, you expect that's the way it's supposed to go. And if you're the bass player and you're making those types of mistakes, you are ruining everything. Wow. And so a drummer and a bass player want to get along really good because the drummer doesn't want the bass player rushing him. Because if I start pushing, then the drums start to feel uneasy and he's got to try to work with me and then it's a fight and it's not good and so generally as a bass player what i try to do is allow the drummer to set it where he likes to set it kind of like ron popeel set it and forget it put it yeah. in put it in a spot and then what i like to do is sit on I, I like try to just get in there and sit behind them not late but i want to play you're more back. reactive you're s- more reactive yeah, i want to play on the back side of the drums because if i play on the back side of the drums that that leaves that leaves groove space still there. Like so, if a guitar player is generally they're on top, they they're they're a little bit on top generally. And so like since the guitar player is pushing a little bit, if I can rein the band in with the bass and pull back and hold with the drums, we stay in time. We don't run away. If the drummer starts listening to the guitar player too much and he's ahead, we'll be 10 beats per minute faster by the end of the song. And no drummer wants that on his yeah right. On his head, like, hey, dude, you started the song at uh, 98 and you ended yeah, it at uh, 108. Yeah, right. Why? And it's like, well, uh, I don't know. And, and it, a lot no of times d- you're saying the bass is what's driving that. It, it is. It's it is it's it is because if you push that drummer, you are put you're you're putting pressure on him all the time, and the groove is say it's a 16th or an eighth note groove. Do, 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 That's a cadence, right? And yeah. like, I can't get out of it. Yeah, right. And so if you start trying to pull or push it starts to come apart yeah you're gonna hear the yeah and it's bad and so that's generally what my goal is if i'm playing with a drummer is to just let them set it and i'll just get in there um so i wanted to go over a couple of the um just a couple of the gigs that you had through the, your life i mean you've, you've been with a number of great people we've talked about paul gilbert uh we've talked about phil collin mm-hmm. from Def leopard um you've touched on some of the other ones too you did colin hay you did the g4 that's really four that's you did three and four yeah that's really a cool gig there too. I'd yeah. love because uh, you're like the house band, and then you get all these aces coming out, man. And it was so cool. It, it, it basically, um, Jeff Bowders and I, uh, the, Paul Gilbert's drummer, we we were the rhythm section for like all like every like amazing guitar player ever, like Warren D. Martini and like all. We played with oh. all these guys, and that was the thing that the G4 thing that really was cool was that it introduced me to musicians that I never would have had a chance to play with, like Phil Collin from Def Leppard. When do you get to play with someone like that? You don't. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so when that came up, it's like, wow, this is this is really cool, and then you end up, what do you do with the opportunity? You know what I mean? Like how we started off with, like I, I met Phil, and like what did, what, what did I do? I just did everything I could to to be good, you know, and he recognized it enough to say, "Hey, I'm doing something later. Would you would you be interested in doing it?" You know, and that that went that way. So luckily, but you know, before all that stuff, you know, I I was I hung around a couple guys with the last name Zuter, and they taught me a lot. Like Mike Mike and CJ made me sing. They in order to be in their band. What do you mean by made you? <laughs> they made me sing. They really did. In order to be in their band, because I always I was around them since I was like 11, and I would go down to their rehearsals and I would hang out with them. And then when their bass player would be done for the day and their rehearsal was over, I'd hop up and we would jam until like late night and stuff like that. And those guys, they always appreciated me for the little kid that hung around and like wanted to be in their band. That I was too young to be in their band. You know what right, I mean? Right, like right. I couldn't, but I was always around. And later on when 
uh, they moved out to Vegas, and they they uh, they wanted to have me come and just do the band with them. But Mike was like, "You have to be a you have to sing. You can't just come and be in our original band because we have three and four part harmonies on everything, and you have to sing one of those parts." And so that was it. It's like, well, if you want to be in the band, you have to to sing. And so those guys put the time into teaching me like how to harmonize with people and like how to sing. Like, of course, you either have pitch or you don't. Yeah. And they recognized that I'd had pitch, and it was just a matter of practice and honing it into using something that's useful. Yeah. You know, and that was how I learned was from those guys singing background vocals with them and learning how to harmonize with other people and make it sound like a cohesive thing. You know, while playing an instrument, and and playing bass and singing is is tricky. It it really is. It it can. It's not for the faint of heart. No, I bet I believe it would be because bass is not normally uh, like we said before. It's not normally the lead instrument where you're. So you're you doing both. You don't get both. to wish you wash around. Like on a guitar, it. you can strum it and sing a few notes and oh, then yeah, strum it too. when it makes sense again. But when you're playing bass, going ding 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 ding, and the vocal lines going, ah, it's like not on. It's like different, and so you have to. Yeah, good literally learn how to separate. Right, and so like when I first started trying to do that, I thought, well, it's impossible. I can't. I can't sing and play. I can sing or I can play, and that's it. And Mike was like, no, you can do both. I'm like, no, I can't. He's like, yes, you can. You have to practice it. Why would you just be able to do it? You just think you could just do it? Like, I can't do that. I can't sing and play bass like that. It's practice. And like you watch Getty Lee and all these other guys, they do it. They're lead singers of bands. Why can't you sing anything? You can't sing a background vocal note. That's ridiculous. It's like... Okay, you're right, I can. And so then you just start practicing it. And then you realize the more that you can do it, the more you can do with it. Then it becomes exciting. Then it becomes like, well, I want to sing. Then it's like any band you're in, you want to contribute to the vocals and stuff. And since those guys sort of pushed me in that direction, if they wouldn't have done that, then I wouldn't have put my time into doing that. And all the stuff that happened later on in my life that was gigs that came up, yeah. most of them were because I could sing too. Yeah, right. What, because, dude, go on YouTube. Look at the bass players. They're ridiculous. There's, like, kids that are 11. That I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't even know what that kid's playing right there. It's amazing. <laughs> like, it's, yeah. Wow. Right. So how am I going to separate? How do I, I compete with that? What do I, I do that's going to yeah, make right. someone want me over anyone else? And it's like, well, if you can sing and you have a voice that sounds like something someone wants to listen to, that always works. Because you don't even have to play an instrument, be a singer, and somebody likes what you're doing. Yeah, it's true. And so... That really made a big difference in my career. Uh, so thanks, Mike and CJ, for forcing me to sing. <laughs> you still, you're still in touch with those guys? I haven't spoken with them in a while, but any time I get a chance to, I'm happy to. Well, maybe this will bring it. Maybe this will yeah, they'll see this absolutely. and they'll say, we got to call Craig. Yeah, good guys. Uh, like I said, I, I really learned a lot from them, and, and musically. And, and I'll take it with me forever, and I'll never not give the credit where credit's due, because those guys really did take a little kid under their wing and teach him. A lot of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, what, what, what would you say? Like some of the, like, so let me, let's say, let's say you're, 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 you're getting toward the end of your life, right? And you're sitting down with somebody, and, and someone's like, so I heard you're a musician, you know? And you're like, yeah. What's the first story you tell them? Like, what's, what, what, what's the one thing? Is there, is there, you know, like, I always wonder because. Like, what's with such a crazy long career like you've had and so many facets to it? It's not like you were in one band and, and you just have stories from this one band. you got so many different personalities and things. But it still seems like, just through me living my life, there's always one thing that stands out here. There's always one thing, one or two, you know, and then, and then everything else is... But there's always that... 
There's there's a lot of stories like I, that. I'm that sure I there come are. But with and I don't, you know, it's hard to say which ones would be the most important or one one I or would just, tell just to a the ones that person. you just can't, the one that you remember. Like it really depends on who I was talking to. Cause like, like if I was talking okay. to somebody who was like into my bass or like oh, what I played or something like that, I would tell them a story about some of the things that happened. Like like with Paul, here's a good story about my bass. Uh, one of the basses I have. I have this Yamaha BBG4, and I've had it forever, and I played it and uh, on everything. And then I was going out on a tour with Paul, and Paul was like, hey, you're going to need a bass that's tuned differently because we're doing two different tunings on this tour, and so you, you're the, we're going to have to switch. And so, okay. So I went on eBay... And I was looking around to see if I could find one that was similar to that one. And I found the exact one. And it was like in Michigan. So I, I bought it. And I had I had I was hoping it would get to my house before I left for tour. And it didn't. I had to go out to Paul's to go for rehearsal. So I, I was living in Vegas at the time. And uh, so I went to Paul's. And we started doing rehearsals and stuff. And I just had my one bass. And so I was just tuning so we could rehearse. And my, my wife was like, hey, you're that bass is going to be here like later tonight. I'm like, okay, the second it hits the porch, ship it right back out, ship it to Paul's house. So she said, okay. And so it, she did that and shipped out to Paul's house. And, and, uh, I'm, I got EM, I have like an EMG endorsement. So they gave me pickups for it and stuff like that. And so I had the pickups at Paul's house. The bass was at Paul's house and we came home from our rehearsal and I was like, cool, I'm going to put the pickups in the bass and like get it ready. And then we'll have it for tomorrow. And so we, uh, we get to his house and I'm going to, put the pickups in the base and I'm like hey Paul you got a drill and he's like ironically both drills that I own are at the rehearsal space because we were doing like the the Makita drill like thing then oh like on like a pound cake it was and daddy brother lover little but I mean like 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 he does on that like he's got that thing and so the drills were there and so I'm like oh no I'm gonna put this base pickups in here and so I on his on his kitchen table I uh not a butter knife a screwdriver (laughs) <laughs> I used a screwdriver and I just twisted it back and forth oh, and made a and hole. Oh, and made the holes that way. Yeah, and then because it, the base is weird, and I was like, the cavity is too small to fit everything in, and so I devised a way on my other one to get everything in there. So I knew how I could do it, but I had to do it sort of on the spot and on Paul's kitchen table with a screwdriver <laughs> instead of drills and things like that. <laughs> so that's a funny But story. did it work? Yeah, it did, and I, I still play. That's the main base I play now. Ah, do you still tell people like, yeah, I did this with a screwdriver? Uh, sometimes, if they <laughs> are interested, I will. But um, you know, the bass looks kind of weird because the volume knobs are configured funny because of that. Because I just moved it over, and I used the volume knob hole for the jack. Do you ever get? Did you ever get kind of like freaked out by the fact like, and you're playing with a guy like Phil Collins, for instance, right? This is a guy who's you know insanely successful, insanely rich, mm-hmm. for that matter. Sure. Does that ever, does that ever like, seeing these people's lifestyles, especially in the beginning, like the first couple times you probably play with some of these guys, was that was that kind of like a shock type thing in the first time you like? I like, think I expected more than what it is, for real. Like I expected, like when I see more like, extravagance. Yeah, I just figured, oh, these rock stars are just you know. But honestly, what I've seen is a lot of humble stuff, and like you know no one flaunting opulence like i've got this and that and this and that it's like people live pretty much within their means there you'll be i don't know everyone so i can't say how all rock stars are or whatever but most of the guys that i've worked with aren't like that they don't live in an extravagant way but what they are is generous so like you go to starbucks you you're not paying 
they're always going to take it. You go get something to eat. It's just sort of an unspoken thing that you're not going to pay. And you have to really try to pay. Let yeah, me right. get it this time. You know, once in a while they'll say, yeah, you can get it. But for the most part, you're there working for them. They've hired you to be there. You wouldn't be there otherwise, and so they're going to take care of you. That's cool. And that's what I've noticed about it is just like a generosity that I try to live my own life the same way. I don't have as much, but I still try to be generous with my time and my effort and anything else that I can be because I think, again, we're fixing ourselves in these meat suits and being generous with your time and stuff is how we can do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, one thing about the the, uh, the situation that we're in now, because one, one thing that we got to see at our age group, I think, was the whole cycle of rock roll, mm-hmm. rock and roll, right? All these young bands, they started off young. It was, it was a young man's music. Right. It was da 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 da. But we've watched them, all our favorite bands now go through the aging process, sure. yeah. and now they're all at that. They're either gone or the Aerosmiths and all this stuff yeah. who are still around. Doing it a little bit. Ozzy. Yeah. yeah. They're talking about him touring again. Yeah, I know. Um, but I mean, like when we watch how it all plays out and everything, and you see how the the and 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 what seems to have disappeared is the debauchery of this music. I don't I want I don't want to say it's disappeared, but it is nothing like it used to be. And and when I talk to the guys um that are have some form of success and stuff like that, you you try to get the story from them, you're like, what crazy stuff happened? That was 30 years ago. That was 20 years ago. Yeah. Most guys like they're telling us now they're like, well, we sit in a room and we talk and we drink coffee or yeah, we might have a couple beers eat, with right? each other and we, and we trade stories and this is what we do. It's it. It's it. It's all it ever really is. It's like, you know, the, oh, I can't wait to get backstage. And it's like, it's not partying backstage. It's I mean, not it used may to be. have been back then, but I don't, I don't, I mean, I kind of remember some of that from when I was pretty young. But you I heard was, the stories. I wasn't around it. You know what yeah, I mean? Right. I remember the Akron Agora and backroom situations like that. But it wasn't like, there was no crazy party going on. Other people were drinking and smoking and doing yeah, things yeah, like yeah. that, but whatever. So in the back rooms like that I've been in and all the bands that I've toured with and stuff, none of that kind of crazy shit's happening. Everyone's trying to look out for their health. Yeah. Everyone's trying to look out for their well-being. Right, before they were doing lines of cocaine yeah. on, a, on a, and, and all this crazy stuff. Now everyone's like, well, I'm yeah. a, a salad and they got their their boiled chicken and whatever it takes and, and and a lot of them hire nutritionists and all that stuff and, uh, yeah right you have catering with proper food because you cannot do this on a level where you're out there singing night after night and then just not you know you can go back and find footage from those days of those bands and the, i guarantee you that everyone that watches their old footage is embarrassed of it when they yeah. when they go man we were wasted yeah and well and and you can hear like the vocals and you can hear it in a lot of these that's bands the you know, main, oh, boy. that's the main issue is yeah. like when you don't get proper rest and you don't get like proper nutrition and hydration your voice is the first thing that goes yeah and so you're going out there trying to deliver these songs that everyone's listening to on the radio and you got ah, you don't need to sound terrible yeah then you either drink more and forget about it or you stop and go, I want to do better. Yeah. You know, and I think that's where a lot of these guys are right now. Is yeah, rest has become a lot more important where no one rested before. Well, don't you want to listen back and be proud of what you did instead of going, why did I do that? Yeah. And, and then, and then also another thing that's happened through the years is obviously with, with the internet and everything, you can't make money selling music. Right. So that's another benefit of those loopers. Right. right. I mean, like, I mean, let's All be by honest. myself. Yeah, let's just yeah. be honest. I mean, like, you're still charging venues what a band would charge for the most part. Probably well, not exactly, but I mean, I'm not yet. But right. Maybe but I mean, someday. But, <laughs> but, but but still, 
Well, Ed Sheeran sells out Wembley two nights in a row. He gets to keep every dollar. That's what I mean. And, you know and, what I mean? And, so. and, and, and I think that's a lot of why you're seeing these loopers come up because – you know, these a guy like Tyrone Hornbuckle, who's a phenomenal musician yep. and can sing anything, ten million songs. I don't yep. know how he knows every song I think ever He's made. He's a jukebox. He really is. Yep. That Looper thing is so great for him because he can create a life as a musician right. because of it without any need. And yep. you don't have to pay. You know, you're not making ten or twenty percent with the band. You're That's making right. it all. I right. mean, it's really a, a it, cool it, thing. It makes it possible. Is really what it is. It it's, is. It's, it's the difference between not being able to do it and doing it. And and making a living being right. a musician, have you had have you had to take other jobs through like have, have in you my life? To, yeah, course. I mean like is, oh, have yeah. you? But I haven't in, I haven't had a day job since 1999. Oh, 1999. That's pretty good. Though. Yeah, I I, it was the last day job I took was working at a uh, a coin hopper company in Vegas. Like they they made coin slot machine hoppers where the coins went in and like i was playing in the zooters at the time and we were we had like this disco band out there and we were doing really well and then we like lost the disco job and like we were all just like struggling trying to like play and we were trying to do this thing where we kept the band as a unit because if any of us went and did other stuff then when we needed to do something as a unit be like hey the dude can't come because he's over here or this and that so we always tried to do everything together you know what i mean and that that was that sort of made it a little bit more tricky yeah 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 well so are you are you do you have a, a stable of places that you play at normally or are you constantly looking for a new venue you know there's a lot of guys there's a lot of a lot of musicians right now they have their four or five places and they just kind of i don't really them. have any in particular i i mean i'll go and play anywhere the issue that i have is like i don't really know a lot of venue owners i know some um because most of the gigs that i've done in town are just like i get hired to play with somebody you know what I mean? And so I show up at the gig, and I never meet the owner or the person who gives the check or anything like that. I'm just there. Yeah. Unless I do something by myself, then I'll usually meet the owner. But I haven't, like, this is kind of new. I'm, like, just getting back out on my feet here again because I haven't. So my looper concerts, I've only done a few, you know. And so, like, I'm looking to get going on that and do as much, like, if anybody wants me to open for them or do anything, I, I don't, I'll just come and show up and do it, you know, and just to get it as just to get something generated, you know. Get get the word going, get yeah. people excited about it. I'm I'm just I mean I I look at it as like I'm nobody. I'm just I'm just trying to start something really, and so hopefully it will. You're not up. nobody, but but I will but I will say this: the one thing about this this thought of everything that you're put out your singles, it's very catchy stuff. Oh, I mean, thank you. On top of the fact that it's not dummy music i don't know how else to put it it's just not it's very intricate it's it's got all kinds of stuff going on but it's very catchy it's thank very you. it's good you got an unbelievable singing voice thank you so much for that. so so that being said i would think this thing's about to this thing's got it it's about to take off man all i can do is hope and keep trying my best and maybe it will i really hope so i i just need an opportunity to get in front of the people because that's really the thing i know you know, with my character of who I am and what I can do with, I can, I know I can stand in front of people and entertain them. Oh yes. I know I can do that. And so if I just keep getting the opportunities to do that, that's all I can really ask for. And hopefully it will make the people that are standing there watching me go away with something that they enjoyed and they're happy with. And that's all we can do. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I just can't see, I'm a, I'm just enamored watching the whole looper thing i don't even care if you're good at it i just just watching somebody with with what they have to do yeah 
and and to keep us all here, I mean, I just think that's amazing. And the fact that you're doing it at the level that you can do it at, like, and there's a, there's a few of you guys out there that can do this. No, sure. But I don't think it's for everybody. No, it's tricky. Yeah, and and like just like you're 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 just talking about a little go, bit ago about how the Zooters are saying you got to be able to sing, and you're like, well, I can't I can't split my brain like that. I how am I going to do that? How am I going to do that? And that's just right. Two things going on: singing and bass. Now the drums. Do you actually? Create the drum parts uh, Some live. Of the songs I'll just I'll I'll do that. I'll like make drum sounds with my bass. But the, <laughs> oh my but the looper, the looper has like stock drum beats in it. That it that, that's like what I was gonna say. So you simple. do have some pre-recorded drum beats. Yeah, and some stuff. some of that stuff is there. In fact, what I did with and that's how I did it. Like I wrote the record. I used that looper. No kidding. So that when I recorded the record, I used at least the drum sound and track that I used in the looper. So that when I go to play the song live, it still sounds like it. Yeah, yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. I could have went to the computer and programmed all these crazy drums and stuff like that. Yeah. But it's I really wanted this to translate live. I thought that was the most important thing because when I see a, a manufactured band, basically one that like it was a studio band that put it all together and then they go out and try to recreate it, it's I I don't like it. But like when I see Leonard Skinner, who like stood in a rehearsal space for freaking 16 hours a day every single day, and the record that you hear is because the engineer was like, "Thank God I captured it." Yeah, right. Right. And so that is the difference between what I was trying to do. Like I want to be able to go out there and ca- and play something that needs captured, and I'm capturing it every night. I'm recording it for you. So that's that was the whole idea. Is like I want it to be when I play this live, that it sounds just like what you're listening to at home. Because I don't want you to go, oh, this is really cool, this is a bass guy. And then you go out and listen to it and go like, well, yeah, right. almost. Not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, know, right, like right, I right. didn't want that to happen. So that was partially why the sounds from in the, the, the stock sounds from in the looper ended up on some of the songs in the record because I really wanted that stuff to translate and be the same and play it live. So you're... Here's another thing that I, I often wonder. So you're in the you're in the funk band with Unified Culture. Mm-hmm. You're doing your solo thing. You've mm-hmm. been in all these other bands and stuff. When you're going to write material, it's far, first of all, in, in Unified Culture, do you do you help with a lot of the writing of those I songs? I pretty much write write all the music. Other than like, I'll write it and then I'll say, hey. Mike, play something on guitar that you think is better than the guitar part I write. I don't even care, you know, because I just put something in for a guitar part when I write a song. Drum, same thing. I program a simple drum part. Some of it's specific. I'll be like, you've got to play this part, but otherwise, you know. Tempo you is, is basically what it's for. That and, like, rhythmic things. Like, you know, if, I, if I'm like, on bass, if I'm like, I want you to play that on drums to oh, sync it up so, kind of right, like so. so there, you hear accenting. those things; those are signature things. I want those in the songs. But other than that, I kind of let everybody just do their thing. But the structures, the riffs, and like all the I, I write that. Mostly. So when you're writing these things, so I, I assume when you're writing for your your solo thing, that's just more from the heart, straight. Anything can come to you at that point. You're not. You're not pigeonholed into anything because this is your solo thing it's you true do whatever I don't, you want other than like metal i'm not probably going to do by myself yeah but well right good luck yeah it's just but, not really right that, that lends itself to a band right but but i'm saying but when you're doing like unified culture that's a whole different thing because that's not necessarily any idea that comes to you it's an idea that comes to you that fits into what well, you that's guys true. do that's very true and and so the unified culture stuff the thing writing that stuff in a rehearsal space is easier for me than writing it at home because it's like play drums i'm playing this now play this on drums uh you know stick with that and then you know 
sort of goes together easier that way. But the last record we did with the last with the newer songs, I wrote those in my computer at home, and everybody just kind of learned their parts. And is that where you record everything at your house? Yeah, everything is in my basement. I record everything at home. Cool, man. So what do you guys got? What do you got? No, you, you guys. See, there I go. What do I? Got? Well, you are like I could. I can actually say that to you. Me and what myself. are you guys? Because you guys, you must have. Um, do you ever think about it that way though? Like you have different personalities that plays different things in this because that solo thing, you got all kinds of things going on. It's an alter ego. Sure. Is it? Is it kind of like that? It kind of has to be a, a, a chameleon-like, I guess, where you like each situation. You, you know, if I'm playing, if I'm playing with. Uh, men at Work, uh, Colin Hay or something like that, I'm not going to be playing the type of stuff I'd play in Unified Culture. There's just no way. I'll get fired in five seconds. You <laughs> right, know what I mean? Because yeah. I'm there to play a role, so you have to fit in right, to right. that. And, but when it comes to Unified Culture, it's easy for me because I've been doing it since I was a kid. And that just, I just do that. And uh, But if I have to write something, I write stuff for all kinds of people too. So like, I just get into uh, Do you them. ever sell songs? Are you yeah, ever, do you ever write songs and sell them? I do, them? and I get into the mindset of what the what the person, I think, wants. You know, they say, I need a song of this type. or what. Phil and I do writing together, where we just, wow. we, we you know, he back lives in forth. California, but we do the, you know, the emailing thing back and forth, and we do the tracks together and stuff, and most of it gets assembled by me at my house in my studio and stuff, and, but yeah, so we write together, and... Ever hear your stuff show up on a Def Leppard record? <laughs> No, we'd have to talk about that first. <laughs> Just but, yeah. No, no, no. But uh, but yeah, it's mostly for like, uh, you try to put your, you just you you write songs and put them in this bank, basically. And so, you know, if other artists are, so you don't stop. I mean, would no. you say that you don't stop writing songs? I mean, no, never. I tr- it's always it's always something. Like in my phone, I have right now, I have songs that I've started that I gotta. Get to. Get, get to work. Yeah, and, and I've probably got like a hundred. You know what I mean? And so the hard part is like, which a one? A hundred? Yeah, easily. Because I just always like write something. Oh, that's cool. And I record it for 30 seconds and oh, i got to finish that. So you have like a hundred parts yeah, of songs. Like I have a hundred songs that I could finish, but probably only 20 of them would be ones anyone would want to listen to besides me. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Because I'm oh, like, yeah, oh, this yeah, is yeah. really cool. Like it's impossible to play, but no one would ever want to hear it. So like... That's always going in, in in my head. There's always an idea. There's always a, a a riff or I hear something like I could be walking along and hear like the cadence of something. They go, that's kind of cool. Like I got to remember that. And then like, I just like a motor. Sing it into my phone or something, you know. Like a motor running and it has Anything. some kind of a, a train. Like you guys have the trains around. Like I would totally listen to that and find it. I'm like <laughs> that's cool. So. All right. I think that that's it for us. This Sounds has been good. awesome, man. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks I for coming it. down, man. Listening to all my stupid old stories. I love it. I've loved every one of them. This has That's been awesome. a lot of fun, man. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming down, man. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, look out for Craig, man. He's 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 gonna be playing out and about, and the next thing I'm doing is a kiss. There's a the, there's a benefit. It's um, it, it, they call it the kiss benefit, but basically it's a musician's benefit, and it's being done in Geneva. Um, it's I'm gonna be playing my solo thing on the side stage, but then also playing uh, a couple of Kiss songs with just you know some other guys. And no so kidding. Like, yeah, it's like a musician's thing. You should check it out. It's it's either July I should know it's July 25th or 6th. I think it's the 26th. Um, but uh, it's a really cool thing, and I'm really uh, happy that they invited me to get to do. Are you a Kiss fan? Too. I mean, were you old? No, not at the all. Back in the <laughs> not at all. And and that's the honest to God truth. I never really liked Kiss. I yeah. I appreciate them right, for right. for Kiss, 
Uh, but no, I never lit. I never really liked. Gene's that. not one of your favorite bass players, you would say. Not well, you know what though? The person who played a lot of the stuff on the records, I'm, I'm a fan. <laughs> you like that guy? Yeah, Bob Babbitt was a great bass player, and he did play on a lot of that stuff. That's great. <laughs> All right, and that's it for us. Level up, Cleveland, and we are out of here. Hope see to see you. See you guys. Woo! Nice. All right. That was fun. Good times. <laughs> <laughs>